Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25, and Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have, now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls." Now Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, one of the questions that I've heard countless times and in many different settings in my life is, Why do bad things happen to good people? Especially when I was young in my faith, I had some serious misgivings about what my life was supposed to look like once I gave my life to Christ. I was wrongly under the impression that once I gave my life to Christ, that he would go before me and smooth everything out and make sure that everything in my path was taken care of. In my young and misguided mind, I thought that an all-loving God, an all-powerful God, was supposed to make sure that everything was bright and joyful and rosy. As I get older and begin to mature in my faith, I've come to realize that that's actually quite far from the truth. (coughs) Excuse me. Just because we give our lives to Christ doesn't mean that everything magically just works out for us in the future. In fact, I've come to understand that the opposite is true. We live in a world that is broken and imperfect, and there are many evil forces that are at work in our world. Often the times that we feel closest in our walk with God, those are the times that the devil attacks us the most. And if we don't have a firm grasp on who we are and who Christ is and what it is that he's called us to do, we open ourselves up to blaming God when bad things happen in our lives. The death of a loved one, the loss of employment, the collapse of a marriage. The Apostle Peter addresses how Christians should deal with these moments when we feel persecuted or go through times when we question God and ask him how he would allow us to be placed in the situations that we're in. 
In in Peter's first letter, he tells us that God is pleased when we patiently endure mistreatment. There's a couple of points I want to make in regards to that statement. First of all, we must be aware that the situation that we've been placed in is still a part of God's plan for our lives. It's part of God's will. Nothing that ever comes against us or ever will come against us is unknown to God. And none of it is outside of his ability to change the circumstance. But we must take comfort in the knowledge that God has allowed that situation to happen to us for some specific reason, even if we don't know at that time what that reason is. Now that's not to say that God has chosen bad situations for us. In 1 Corinthians, the scripture tells us that we will be tempted, but we won't be tempted beyond our ability to bear it. Like I said, that doesn't mean that we won't be tempted, that we won't face adversity, but we're told that God will provide a way out for us so that we can stand firm underneath that temptation. However, God did also give each one of us the gift of free will. And oftentimes decisions made by other people because of that gift of free will come to impact our lives. What's important for us to remember is how God has called us to handle these situations in which we face unjust treatment. We're not called to complain about them. We're not called to moan or lament or bellyache about how terrible our situation is or, or how bad our life has become. Rather, Peter tells us that if we will patiently endure those unjust situations, that we will bring great pleasure to God. Now, patience is a topic that I could spend an entire sermon speaking about. And I'll be honest, patience is something that I struggle heavily with. If you don't believe me, ask my my parents in Jordan. They'll tell you. But it's something that all of us as a society struggle with. With all the technology that's available to us today. All the, all the modern amenities that we've come to, to, to trust and to be reliant on, it's hard for us not to expect instant results. We have fast food restaurants that we can drive up to and expect to have a, a hot meal prepared for us in a very timely manner. And yet if it takes the workers more than two to three minutes to prepare our foods, we begin to get angry. We have the internet that gives us access to vast amounts of knowledge. And yet we complain when our internet connection speed isn't fast enough. We can stream movies and TV shows straight to our smartphones and straight to our televisions. And yet we grow angry when we have to wait on those TV shows to buffer before we can watch them. And yes, it's true. We even get frustrated when waiting in line at the convenience store. I can't tell you how many times I myself have pulled out my phone and gotten on it on Facebook or whatever else, because I was frustrated with having to stand in line and wait at a grocery store. As a middle school and high school teacher, I can attest to the fact that patience is a hard thing. It's hard to be patient, especially this time of year. And yet that's what we're called to do. We're called to be patient with the people in our lives, with the situations in our lives, in everything that we do. And the same is true in our walk with God. We live in such an instant gratification society that we come to expect that everything will be done in the time frame that we want it to be done in. We pray and look desperately for answers and then become angry with God when we don't see those prayers answered 
when we think they should be or in the manner that we think that they should be answered. Now, if we struggle with patience in our prayer life, how can we expect to be patience in situations that we feel like we've been treated unfairly? Patience is not easy, and it does not come naturally to most people. It's something that has to be constantly practiced. Patience is something that we have to be very intentional about. Isn't it ironic that we pray for patience and then look for an immediate answer? I'm learning more every day that that's not how God works. When we pray for patience, God doesn't just anoint us with patience and and immediately we attain this otherworldly ability to remain calm and patient through trying situations. Rather, what God does is he places us in situations where we can practice our ability to be patient. Now, Peter makes it clear that he isn't talking about situations where we have done wrong, but situations where we've been treated unjustly or unfairly. We know that our God is a just God. And just like a parent who has to discipline their child, God also allows us to be disciplined and to learn from the mistakes that we make in our lives. All throughout the Old Testament, there's examples of God punishing the Israelites for their lack of faith, for turning away from him. We see time and time again that he allows the the Hebrew people to be conquered by their enemies because they have turned away from him and worshipped other gods and had a lack of faith. Peter tells us that we get no credit for being patient in situations where we've done wrong. Once again, that's just the expectation that we're called to. Growing up in my house, if you broke the rules, you could pretty well expect to have a meeting with dad in his belt at some point in time when he got home. Now, I don't think it's ever fun or easy for a parent to discipline their child. I can't imagine that my mom and dad got any enjoyment from whipping my backside. But I think they understood that I had earned that punishment and that it was necessary to teach me a lesson. And I believe that I benefited in the long run from receiving those punishments for the actions that I had done. Even though at the time I was angry and in pain and mad at my parents, now I realize that had I not been held accountable for the things that I'd done, I wouldn't be in the place that I'm at today. And I wouldn't have learned many of those lessons as a young man. Many, many of those lessons as a young man. I know it's hard for you all to believe, but as a child I kind of had a smart mouth. Um, When being punished, I would often run my mouth and make things worse for myself. When if I had just taken my punishment and gone on, things would have been so much easier on me. The same is true with God. We often barter with God. We complain to him that things aren't going the way that we want them to be, that we don't like the situation or the calling or the direction that he's placed us in. But the reality is that's what we're called to do. That's what's expected of us, to be obedient. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, I want to be perfectly clear here. Not every bad thing that happens in life is God's way of punishing us. Not every negative situation that occurs is in response to something that we've done personally. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, we're told that God has given Satan dominion over the earth at least until he comes back to rapture his church and set up his thousand-year reign on earth. Now, even though God has the ultimate power and the ultimate authority, 
both in heaven and on earth, by giving Satan the power over our physical lives, he has allowed the devil to create hardships for us and to put us through heartache during our time spent here. I'm not going to spend too much time on it in this sermon, but if you want a great example of God allowing the devil to take hold of somebody's life, go read the book of Job in the Old Testament. Now, Peter tells us that we're called to do good even if it means suffering. And to me, that's probably one of the hardest things to accept. If I'm doing good, if I'm doing right, if I'm being who I'm called to be, there shouldn't be any suffering. Let me give you an example that's easily relatable to me because of my time spent in the classroom. Is it right for a student to turn in a fellow classmate for cheating on an exam? Absolutely, that's the right thing to do. Is that student going to be hailed as a hero and held in high regard by their other classmates for it? Absolutely not. Regardless of the consequences, though, we are called to do good, to be just, and to make the right decisions. The good news is we're not left to our own devices on that. Jesus was sent to earth and took on the physical form of a man so that he could be that example to us. He endured the most unjust treatments that anyone could imagine. He was betrayed by one of his closest confidants. He was given up to execution instead of a known criminal. He was put to death in the most savage way possible. And yet he never sinned. He never retaliated. He never deceived anyone, nor did he ever threaten anyone with retaliation or revenge. Jesus is our example, and Peter makes it clear to us that we must follow that example. Every day that becomes more difficult, especially in in a society that grows further and further from God every day. Yet, we were given the example of how to interact with such a world that is turning itself from God. I know some of you guys are probably thinking, yeah, Brian, I understand, but he's the son of God. You can't possibly expect me to turn the other cheek every time I'm wronged. I'm only human. And you're right. We all sin. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is capable of being blameless in our own power. But the book of Acts gives us some strategies that helped the disciples to remain fervent in their following of God. And if we can follow some of those strategies, that will help us to become closer in our walk with God. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that Luke gives the apostles ways that they were able to stay faithful after the crucifixion of Jesus. In verse 42, we're told that the apostles devoted themselves to the teachings. Notice that it doesn't say they studied the teachings. They didn't just look at the scriptures. There was nothing casual about their relationship with the scriptures. They devoted themselves to it. They made a conscious effort every day with every action that they performed and every word that they spoke to live by what the scripture told them to do. Once again, as a coach, I can relate to athletics pretty easily. We ask our athletes to be devoted to their workouts, devoted to their diets, 
No matter how much sleep they got the night before, no matter how hard yesterday's workout was, no matter what's going on in their life outside of athletics, no matter how sore they are or tired, we demand that our athletes stay true to the workout regimen that they've been provided. Now, I must say that I'm convicted by the fact that even though I demand that from my athletes, I fall very far short from demanding that same kind of devotion in my walk with God. I'll spend hours breaking down game film during football season. I'll spend hours drawing up inbounds plays and setting up drills during basketball season. And I'll spend countless hours throwing batting practice and hitting fly balls to my baseball players when we're in baseball season. And yet I struggle to devote a tiny amount of time to read the scripture that was provided to us by God. I think if we're honest, that's something we're all guilty of in one regard or another. We devote ourselves fully to the tasks that are demanded of us by our jobs and and in our careers, to the things that need to be carried out in our households and with our families. And yet we leave very little time left over to devote ourselves to the word of God. If we expect to have a successful relationship with Christ... We must study the scriptures with devotion. Luke also tells us that the apostles were devoted to fellowship. To me, this is the strongest argument for why people should come and attend church. Now, I know we've all been around people who who are believers. They'll say, yes, I believe in God. I just don't like going to church. According to Luke, that fellowship with, with other believers, that's the cornerstone of our faith. We strengthen each other. And we strengthen our own faith through that fellowship that we experience with fellow believers. When we spend time with each other, it also allows us to help hold each other accountable. By surrounding ourselves with people with similar values and similar beliefs, it strengthens our resolve to to remain focused on furthering our relationship with Christ. And honestly, I think that's one of our strongest attributes here at First Methodist of Eastland. I think we do a great job sharing time and fellowship whether it be through our Bible studies on Monday nights, through R&R and the time that we spend together in worship on Wednesday nights, through our fifth Sunday meals that we have, choir practice, we do a great job of, of strengthening each other through our fellowship here. The next thing that Luke points out is that sharing in meals is an important way that the, uh, the apostles remained fervent and devoted To God. And we do that once a month here at the Methodist Church when we come together and and share communion, which I know I know this is the first Sunday of the month. We'll we'll have communion for this month next week, so um, don't think that we skipped that. But we do meet together once a month in the Methodist Church to share in the Lord's Supper. I had never thought of sharing in meals as being an important tool in furthering my relationship with Christ or being important to my faith. But as I prepared this sermon this week, there were two things that came to mind when I read that verse. Number one, and I've already hit on it a little bit, was our fifth Sunday meal. When we prepare those meals together, and we go as a congregation, and we sit together in Fellowship Hall, the camaraderie and the friendship and the conversation that comes out of it is so crucial to our faith. We have the opportunity to to interact with people in the church that Maybe we don't sit next to in the pews every week. We have time to communicate with one another and and just share in the fellowship of fellow believers. 
talking about and strengthening our faith. The second thing that came to my mind was the trip that I'm taking to Scotland at the end of this month. I got an email from Bishop Larry Duggins a couple weeks ago, and he had put the 12 of us that are going into, into dinner groups. And one of the things that we're going to be responsible for doing on the trip is each night a different group will prepare a meal together. There will be three or four of us together. We'll all prepare a meal together. And then all of us on the, on the pilgrimage will come together at, at a large table, and we will eat together communally. And in the email, the bishop talked about how this has been one of the most spiritual and one of the most meaningful parts of the pilgrimages that they've run in the past. As it creates a time where all of the believers can come together and talk honestly about the experiences that they've been having on the island and talk about the ways that God is moving in their lives. The last thing Luke talks about is being devoted to prayer. Next to reading the Bible... Prayer is the most essential thing that we can have for a strong faith. As Methodists, we're all familiar with the name John Wesley. Wesley had a concept that he talked about. It's known as being continually in prayer. And basically what John Wesley talks about is living our life as a living prayer, as a living offering to God. That everything that we say and everything that we do should be an offering to our Lord. I don't know about you guys, but that's a scary concept to me. Think about every aspect of my life being a living prayer and, and being a sweet offering to the Lord. But I think that we should all strive to have that daily prayer time with God if we want to experience a closer walk with him. We should think of that prayer time not as asking for things, but as a conversation between two friends. Often, We make the mistake of turning to God only in times of struggle, in times of strife. And we neglect to recognize the times of comfort and ease. We fail to come to God in our good times and thank him for all the blessings that he's bestowed upon us. And we don't give him praise for that daily providence, instead only asking God for the things that we think we need. Prayer time strengthens our relationship with God Just like having conversations with friends helps strengthen your bonds of friendship. If we adopt that Wesleyan idea of living life as a a living offering and a living prayer, that raises the expectations of our prayer time even higher. Every word and every action that we do should be given up to God as an offering to him. That's a hard standard to reach, but let's make that be one of our goals. All we like sheep have gone astray. Even when we try our hardest to be righteous, we falter, we fall. But once we turn to God with all of our struggles and all of our triumphs, the Bible tells us that we become like sheep who have returned to their shepherd. Jesus was the ultimate example of living a life based on Christian principles. So where are you in your life? when it comes to being patient, being accountable, and being devoted? And what can each of us do to improve in those areas so that we can improve our relationship with Christ and pursue that ultimate goal of of being the best and strongest Christian that we can be? Will you please pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the wisdom that you've placed before us 
And I thank you for all of the skills that you've given all of us and the ability to to come to you and to learn through your word. Father God, I thank you for the times that you allow us to practice our patience. I pray that as we go through the week, you help us to be accountable, Father God, and that you remind us always to be devoted to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join me in hymn number 